Well, hello, you guys. This is M, and you're listening to the Spicy Butterfly Podcast. I want to apologize for not posting anything for a couple of weeks. It's been quite busy for this girl. But if you're tuning in, I just want to say thank you for joining me. And I hope that some of the information that I share with you, you find relevant and informative. And maybe you'll just find it a little bit encouraging to find your own way to get out of your funk or whatever situation that you're in. So the reason I haven't really posted anything or made any new podcasts in the past couple of weeks, it's because I started my DBT program about five weeks ago. And let me tell you, it's been a trip. It's been a trip and a half. So I wanted to create this episode a little bit sharing with you guys what the past five weeks have been like for me and what I've learned and what I'm learning and what I'm practicing. So thank you so much for joining. I do want to have a disclaimer right away. And that is that I am not a licensed professional. I am not a psychologist. I am not a psychiatrist. I am just, you know, your regular girl that is going through the motions of her healing. And I hope that you can understand that this is no substitute for therapy whatsoever and that whichever choices you decide to take from the information that I share are yours and yours only and you take the responsibility for those. I hope that me sharing some of the knowledge that I've acquired can inspire you to find your own treatment. However, I can only speak from my experience and the things that I have gone through and I hope that you find your own journey as well. And if you are in need of help, I ask you, please, 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 please find yourself a therapist, find yourself a local program that can help you out. Now, with that being said, thank you so much for tuning in again. um, I've had a couple like listeners, which makes me really happy. So thanks, you guys. My heart is full of gratitude. And... I think we should just dive right into it. So I first want to open with something that happened last week. So the last episode that I made wasn't coming out of the mental health closet. Well, I did something of sorts about a week ago. So a week ago, it was Bell Let's Talk Day in Canada. So if you're not familiar with it or you're not in Canada, Bell Let's Talk is an initiative by one of the telecommunication companies in Canada that raises money and awareness for mental health initiatives. So basically for every post and every repost and every mention of the Bell Let's Talk Day that you make, Bell donates a portion of money to different like nonprofits. One of them being the Canada Mental Health Association. One of them is CAMH in Toronto. Now I CAMH holds a special place in my heart because they were the first place where I went to seek help when things were getting a little bit out of control for me when I was around 18 years old. So I think they do a great job. Now, I made a very long post on my personal Instagram about my uh, borderline personality disorder diagnosed. And it wasn't easy. I will not lie to you. Um, I think, you know, we always talk about the stigma and how mental health is so stigmatized but we don't often talk about when we put that stigma on ourselves and when we are given a diagnosis by our medical professional and we fight it because we don't want to be labeled that which is what I realized was very much happening to me with my BPD diagnosis. so I figured it was time to put it out there. And I did. And I made a long post about it. And I have to tell you that the response that I got was overwhelming. There were a lot of people that made comments on it. But the most remarkable thing was there were a lot of people that reached out privately. And they had a lot of nice things to say. 
and there were two in particular like two messages in particular that really stick out one of them was from a childhood friend from Colombia whose brother tried to commit suicide a couple months ago she's going through the diagnosed process right now and she's super lost and in her in her message she kind of asked how I found the courage to you know put my situation out there for the world to know and how I found help and how me being diagnosed so fast happened because I made a In my post, I basically said that I had been diagnosed with BPD about a year ago and I've been in treatment for four months. So my response to her was that she could always reach out and I was hoping that that's what my post achieved. It, it wasn't just about me like breaking my own stigma, which a part of it was. I can't say that it wasn't. But a part of it was also to motivate other people to be honest with themselves and with their friends and family and the people around them about their mental health and be honest and open which I was really happy that she you know that she did and she reached out but I also said to her that my diagnosis had taken over 13 years and it wasn't an easy road I think that I was able to point out a place at least for her to start and I was able to provide a bit of um, a comforting place where she knew she wasn't going to be judged for her mental health diagnose so that felt really good now the other message was from an old friend i would say more like a long time acquaintance really she was friends with a group of friends i used to have and she said that back in our early 20s when we used to hang out all the time she always looked at me And hope that she would have the same energy and charisma and confidence that I did. And that she would have never guessed the battle that I was fighting on my own. And you know guys, that one really made me think. About how, I was going to say how we portray ourselves to society. But really, I can only speak for myself. And it's, it really made me think about how I portray myself. To the world so i don't know if you guys do this but i've started to realize that i can come across as being extremely confident extremely strong and just very assertive but i've kind of been doing myself at the service by coming across that way because i haven't allowed myself to show myself as vulnerable and as human and as a soft-hearted person per se so it was really eye-opening to get that message from this person that being said I don't regret posting what I did I thought it was very empowering I thought it took a weight of my back especially with some of the situations that I've you know I've gotten myself into and I can it's not about finding judgment or being mean to myself but with some things you have to take accountability for your share of what's happened to you in your life so it it brought me a bit of peace it brought me a bit of um you know self-righteousness i don't know if that's the right word you know english is not my first language sometimes words don't come out the way that i mean them too But I hope you guys know what I mean. Like I just, it made me feel right to put it out there and say like, I know sometimes I've acted in ways that are not necessarily cool. And I don't think my BPD, it's an excuse. And this is why I'm working on it to be better. However, I did not know really what I was dealing with at some point. And when I did know, I denied myself the opportunity to accept the diagnosis because of the stigma. So that being said, what I really, really want to talk about on this episode is DBT. So as I was saying, I have been on DBT for about five weeks. I missed the first week, not by my fault. I 
was messaging the place that I was going to start my BPD at, sorry, my DBT at. And they didn't get back in time. And when they told me that a program had just started, it was two days after the first class had started. So I was able to join in the class. I just was coming in on the second class, which it's okay because I have been practicing some of the uh, DBT skills with my psychologist. So I kind of had an idea what I missed out on. And I reviewed it with my psychologist before going into my first session, which would have technically been the second one for the group. So I didn't really feel like I fell behind. But that being said, what I kind of want to do is go through each week of the material that I've covered so far. And I just want to let you guys know that this is not scripted. Like, I mean, I've, I've worked out an order. I'm going to say things, but I do have my book beside me and this is just being recorded on my iPhone. So I apologize for the non-overly professional uh, recording. And you might hear some page flipping and sometimes my thoughts are going to get a little bit like, you know, a little wee there. But I still hope that you find some of what I'm sharing with you informative and maybe relatable. So let's talk dbt so week one we covered skills like you know introduction to dbt skills training and biosocial theory so what does that mean what is the dbt skills the dbt is based in mindfulness principles so being connected to the current moment without attachment to it sounds pretty self-explanatory pretty easy to do pretty easy to practice no it isn't well at least to me i've had some challenges with it but there was something that i found quite interesting here so first when we talk about the skills so the whole idea behind the skills is that we can solve any problem using the skills that we've learned through this course so in order to solve a problem first you have to identify the problem and find a way how to feel better or tolerate the problem because what is your other option your other option is to stay miserable so we don't want we don't want to be miserable right nobody wants that and to some of us that's just kind of like our default where we go so we have options we can either solve it feel better solve sorry solve the problem feel better about the problem or tolerate the problem or we can just stay miserable. But we kind of need to identify the problem, right? And in order to solve the problem, we can use a couple of skills, like interpersonal effectiveness skills. We can use some problem-solving skills or use the walking the middle path. What they mean, I honestly don't know yet because we haven't touched that yet. But that was the first thing. So now what do you do to feel better about the problem? You use emotion regulation skills. What are those? Again, I'm not too sure because we haven't gotten there. And then to tolerate the problem, you also use the stress tolerance and mindfulness skills. Now, mindfulness is something that I've started diving in, into. So we'll talk about that in the next little part. Um, and then your fourth option is to stay miserable and that is to use no skills which is, I think, the way that I personally had been living for a while, even though I've been to a lot of therapy when it came to stressful situations, I was using those skills because I didn't really have them, right? So that's the thing. Like, it's just kind of a roadmap on what you can expect from the treatment and the things that you are going to learn. And then the second part of it was the biosocial theory. So the documentation basically says, biosocial theory, why do I have so much trouble controlling my emotions and my actions? And I mean, raise your hands if you can relate to this, because I can 100% relate to this. I, as I was saying earlier, I can come across as being very assertive and self-control and very confident to some people. But Lord behold, the emotions that are going inside of me 
I just a little bit of a train wreck. I'm not gonna lie. So why? I don't know if you've asked yourselves this, but I've asked myself this question for a long time. Why? Why do I seem to have such a hard time with this when other people seem like they're just cruising by and they don't care and things don't get to them as much as they get to me? So the first thing that they teach you is that emotional vulnerability is biological. So simply, some of us are just simply born that way. So there is a chemical and neurological basis to this. There might be a weakened something something system somewhere that is nobody's fault. That's just the way that we are born. I was personally born with an alcoholic father. Now that's been in like he hasn't touched alcohol in almost 30 years and he helps people stop drinking. But that still doesn't mean that the DNA that was passed down to me could have had some sort of mutations that may have put me in risk for some things. Now, the other part of this is that impulsivity also has a biological basis. So for some of us, regulating action is harder than to other people. So for some people, and myself included, we find it very hard to restrain impulsive behaviors. This is where a lot of that reactiveness and self-harm comes from. It's um, a way of self-soothing in the moment or in a moment of great distress. Now, that also means that a lot of times we are thinking, we do things that get us in trouble, and sometimes that our behavior seems to come out of nowhere. My therapist, like my DBT uh, facilitator, I should say, said something to me yesterday or to us in the group that made a lot of sense. She said that we feel like we go from zero to 100, but that's not true. Nobody goes from zero to 100. A car doesn't just go from zero to 100. It may go from zero to 50 at like an accelerated rate and then go from 50 to 100 real fast, but it's still a progression. So it's the same thing with our emotions. We think that they just kind of like arise out of nowhere. No, that's not necessarily true. They come from somewhere, right? Uh, and then sometimes it's hard to be effective because our moods get in the way of life. And again, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I certainly can. And I know that I mentioned in one of the episodes before that my life seemed to be really going the right way. And then things happened. And then I just couldn't deal with it. And everything just kind of fell apart. Because my emotions had completely taken over my life. And I couldn't control the behaviors that were linked to my moods. And that's a bit of a problem. Now, why does this happen? So we, we've learned that some of this comes from, like, you know, a biological reason. But a lot of this has also a lot to do with the social environment environment so maybe we grew up in an environment filled with trauma maybe we grew up in an environment that has an invalidating social um scene i guess that's the way to put it i know um maybe we were abused but somewhere in our forming years in our childhood years there was some sort of scenario that made us feel unsafe that made us feel unable to control what was going on. And I think as adults, this is why a lot of our responses come out because it's when the fight or flight response to a lot of us, the responses fight. Perhaps because we couldn't fight before. Perhaps because we felt so helpless before. So to recap that first week, and this is what I missed so Forgive me if it doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm trying to make it as concise as I can. But so basically, to some of us, especially, and this is just particularly talking about people with borderline personality disorder, uh, controlling emotions is really hard. 
and half of it comes from a biological aspect and some of it comes from a social aspect so it's kind of half and half so this is the purpose of dvd what do we do about it so then we move into something that i found that it was so much fun not i'm being completely sarcastic here which was my session two and that is dialectical thinking and behavioral oh sorry behavior analysis if you want to look more into it there is a ton of youtube videos on this you can find the information online however i do not recommend you to do this without working alongside with a therapist because out of the past five weeks i found this to be the hardest and most triggering chapter that i worked on so let me tell you a little bit about this one because it's um it's an interesting one so if you have your tea have a sip because we're here in for a trip with me here so what is chain analysis so chain analysis basically it's to break down a situation where you found yourself in distress and you had some actions and reactions that you're not proud of and you're gonna do a chain analysis of them so there's a couple of steps. I'm actually going to go over the steps with you really fast, but I'm not going to go too much into the details of it. I'm going to tell you more like my experience on it. So the step number one is you describe the problem behavior. What did you do? What was the one thing that you did? And you're like, oh, crap. I probably should have not done that. But and you know, hindsight's 2020. When you look back, you're like, oh, yeah, probably that was not cool. But at the time, you did you, like you did it, and you felt great. You felt a release. You felt like something was something was coming out of all your frustration, and you felt like it was justified. But then moments later, minutes later, day later, you look back and you're like, "What was I thinking? Where did this come from? This is not cool." So first, you write down what the problem behavior was. Then you figure out what the prompting event was. So what was what started the chain of events? What was your trigger? Was it something that somebody said to you? Was it a fight with your significant other and they said something and then you just snapped or said something or threw something at them? Like, I don't know. You guys think you can all kind of relate this to your life and a time that you've said have done something that you're not proud of. Um, so that's basically what the prompting event is, is what was the trigger? So then you have step number three, which is describing the factors happening before the event that made you vulnerable. Now, I was a little bit confused on this one because you have the prompting event and then you have your vulnerabilities. So the prompting event is like the immediate trigger, the thing that made you react and snap or act funny or self-harm whichever action that you're whichever was your problem behavior now the vulnerabilities is did you sleep the night before had you been having a crappy sleep was there a high stress point in your life were you dealing with grief were you dealing with sadness were you dealing with being overworked were you did you get into an argument with your boss what were the things that were making you a little bit more vulnerable, more unedged, like more susceptible to other people's things? Which, I don't know, to me, it felt a little bit confusing when it came to prompting event and like the vulnerabilities, but now it kind of makes sense. So I hope I'm explaining it okay. Step number four is where it got hard for me. So step number four is describing in excruciating detail the chain of events that led to the problem. So this is when you actually had to get to the dirty bits of it. What happened? Were you tired? You hadn't eaten? Were you stressed? Were you sad? Were you feeling bad about yourself? You have to figure all that stuff out. And then look at the prompting event and be like, well, all of these little things were getting to me and then 
ex-person said this to me and then I snapped and I did these things but you when they say like excruciating detail is excruciating detail how did you feel where did you feel in your body how do you feel in your mind where thoughts were going through your head I mean every little thing now when this was being explained to me I broke down on my DBT group because all I could think about was about my last relationship and how much of a toxic relationship that was and how it started so my second date with my last boyfriend was the night that I found out that my best friend died so I wouldn't even call that my prompting event it was a vulnerability but it was also a prompting event maybe that's why I wasn't confused about it but then two weeks later I lost my job and then two weeks later my house got broken into and I got cleaned out like heirloom jewelry my savings money my computers my xbox my bikes like they just cleaned house and this was maybe a week after i had helped my best friend's parents plan her funeral so i was vulnerable and a half and all that i kept thinking about when we were talking about the chain of events was my friend dies I lose my job my apartment gets broken into and I blanked out even talking about it now is hard because it was a really crappy time in my life now that's where I kind of froze in therapy and I think it's important to talk about it now because when I I went to my therapist with this dilemma. She she gave me some good advice and she gave me a way to feel better about it. But we're going to get into that in a minute. I'm going to go keep going through the steps and then I'm going to tell you how I got out of this funk. So, so when we were going through like the chain of events, that's when I broke down. But we're not done there. We got step number five, which is describe the consequences of the problem behavior. Now that was the other trip because I was on this self-blaming train where I just thought I was the most horrible human being on the planet and I was just looking at all the consequences of my actions. And a lot of them weren't, I don't want to say that they weren't brought by me, but I later learned that it takes two to tango and not everything that happened was my fault but i didn't see that at the moment i was in a big big like self-blaming trip so then we go on to steps six to eight which are like the better steps we've gone through the excruciating details of all, all of our trauma never fun so Step six to eight are to how to change your behavior. So step number six is describe skillful behaviors to replace the problems, links in the chain of events. So what you've created all this big list of all what happened and the things that like kind of led you down that path of like, eh, not so good. You're supposed to leave some space in front of it where you could write things like, well, that day I was really sad, so I went out drinking. Like, well, what could I have done better? Well, maybe I could have gone to the gym instead of going drinking. Maybe I could have read a book. Maybe I could have meditated. Maybe I could have gone for a walk. So you start looking at your chain of events and your chain of behaviors. And you start figuring out what things you can use to replace some of those self-damaging behaviors that you're partaking in. So then for step number seven, you develop a prevention plan to reduce vulnerability to stressful events. Now, I think this is something that I'm going to be working on for a little bit, but same as you create your skillful behaviors to replace the bad behaviors, then you start thinking, okay, so this is what happens when I'm in this moment of stress, but 
how do I get myself to a place where I can respond better to this stimuli? And sounds really complicated, right? Like, because you would think like, well, if I knew, I would have done that already, right? That's what I thought. But I guess this is what DBT is all about. You're learning the skills so you don't get yourself into a crisis mode. You can avoid it before it gets there. And step number eight is repair important or significant consequences of the problem behavior. Now, whether it's that saying sorry to some people or you need to make some repayments to some bills you didn't pay or whatever that looks like to you, it's you're cleaning up the mess that you made, basically. So this is the chain analysis. Now, let's talk about what how I kind of got out of my chain analysis funk. So when it happened, I shut down in the class and I just kind of went into a little corner and I wasn't going to ask anything. And then I thought to myself, like, no, I'm here with another group of wonderful women who are also trying to be vulnerable and open out their struggles because they want to get better. So maybe my question has a place here. So there was me crying in my little corner and I just kind of raised my hand and I said, what if all you can think about in your chain of events is something really traumatic? Oh, I guess I should give you guys this disclaimer. They had made us do an in-class exercise where we were to do a small chain of events. And like, I'm telling you, all that was going through my head was friend's death, lose job, apartment breaks into. And I would like try to think of something smaller and it would just go right back to that. Which could most likely be trauma response. So I raised my hand and I was like, I'm stuck in this loop. I don't know what to do. Now everybody's like writing their little notes and doing their little homework. And here I am crying and it's my first time in the actual class. So I'm like, great. I feel like an idiot. This is fun. I already feel bad about what happened. I feel bad about the relationship that ended because of all of this. I feel bad about all the things I'm going through. And now I feel like an idiot because out of a group of people that have problems, I feel like I'm the most fucked up one pardon my French but that is literally how I felt so you know I asked and the facilitator just looked at me with like the most compassionate look you guys and she said something like then try to find something smaller something that doesn't hurt so much and if we would have it our way you wouldn't go through this right away because you don't have the skills to handle it yet but if you're not ready to do this exercise you don't have to do it Now, people that know me personally, they know that, like, if I set myself to do something, I'm going to do it. Even if I'm not ready, I'm just going to do it. I'll deal with it. So, a week goes by. I just kind of self-suited a lot in, like, negative ways. That week, I, I was just numb. I was just not having a great week. And then the week after, before my DBT, I saw my therapist, my psychologist, And I mentioned this to her. And I said, like, I've reached out to an old friend and I want to go through all my trouble behavior because I've witnessed it. And then she was like, why are you doing that to yourself? I was like, I don't know, because this and that. And she's like, but what's the hurry? Break down your trauma in little bits. And if you're not really, like, if you're not ready to deal with all that pain that that brings to you, Don't find smaller situations, but be kind on yourself. You don't have to figure it all out at once. So I'm I'm a little bit stubborn sometimes. So I said to her, like, no, I think I'm good. I'm ready. And then I went out for a coffee with my friend. We went out for lunch, actually, and then a coffee. And I had given them the disclaimer. This is what I want to talk about. No, this is an ex-boyfriend. I, I call him a friend now because he is a dear friend to me now. But this is an ex-boyfriend. And this was my first boyfriend. And he is the one that witnessed my first wave of really bad anxiety attacks and panic attacks. And now I know basically borderline panic episodes. I didn't know that then. Now I do. But he knows me quite well. And when I called him... I first said to him, I was like, 
I've always wanted to talk about this stuff with you without wondering if this is bringing you any pain. So if you're not ready to talk about it, or if you are not willing to talk about it, I'd respect that. But it would be of great help to me. And he very lovingly said that even though he had to go through a lot of therapy to deal with it, he was okay to talk about it. And he was always more than happy to help me figure my way out. So and we met up a couple of days after that phone conversation and we never actually talked about the thing. And But then we talked about not talking about the thing and I said to him, I was like, we've had such a good time like we literally like went out and walked up and down the street for like five hours and just talked about a lot of things and a lot of deep things but we just didn't get down to the really sad things and I said to him I was like I think I might not be ready to visit that and I thought I did and I thought I had to force myself so I could heal myself and then he was like you gotta be kind to yourself and He just kind of reminded me that I'm not a bad person because I have BPD. But that I've been hurt and that I have hurt others with my behaviors. But he said once that... What did he say? He said something like, every time that you acted out, I knew that wasn't you. I know you. I've seen you. I know who you are. And I know that that person that comes out and reacts and yells and screams and acts quote-unquote crazy, it's not you. It's a really hurt part of you. But I know you never mean any bad. And I, I, I legit broke down when he said that. I was crying. We were like walking down the street and I was like in tears because it was so validating for me. It was so nice to know that somebody's seen everything. Like the really bad stuff, you guys. And he still sees me. And then after that, I was like, you know what? I'm okay with pushing some of that stuff to later. Another thing that my therapist said to me was that, you know, if you have a cake, it's like a bit of an analogy. And it's a delicious cake and you want to eat it all, but you can't just put the whole thing in your mouth. It doesn't work that way. You first have to cut a piece, put it in a plate, and then eat it. And if you want to eat more, you cut another piece. Even if you like, go like savage style on the cake, which I've done before. And you just grab a spoon and start eating the cake directly from its platter. But you never just put the whole cake in your mouth. And if you do, you're going to create a big mess. It's very much like that with therapy. You don't want to tackle everything at once. You kind of have to break the things in little pieces things that you can actually chew and process so that was comforting and I was able to do my chain analysis with something smaller than but I guess it brought a bit of humility my way it brought a little bit of gentleness and knowing that I needed to kind of slow down so yeah that was a chain analysis again I don't if you're curious and you want to do it on your own i really 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 don't think this is something you should be doing without without a therapist by your side because i'm telling you like it was really hard for me but i got it done and it was very informative and it's highlighted some things in my life that i can tweak so that's kind of cool and i'm actually really looking forward to being able to use that skill moving forward i guess but then we went into session three which is my favorite so far you guys i can't even tell you so session three was mindfulness and the states of mind so i can't even remember if i've talked about the states of mind before but i've learned this about three months ago and it's changed the way that i think so we're gonna talk about the states of mind first and then we'll get a little bit into mindfulness So states of mind is we have, we think that we operate in two places or that most people are in two places. We got our emotional brain and that's the one that's just led by feeling and emotion and what we feel and what's in our hearts and, 
you know, very、um, mood dependent and emotion focused. And then we have our reasonable mind. And, it's, and that reasonable mind is cool and rational and task focused. And it's ruled by facts and reason and logic. And it values what's not feeling y I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> But you, you guys are getting what I mean, right? Like we have this place where it's like super emotional. And then we got this like super cold. Rational place, and they seem like completely different things. But there's actually a third state of mind that we can train ourselves to get into, and that is called the wise mind. Now, the wise mind is a wisdom that we all have, and the wise mind is not ignoring either the facts or the emotions. Is looking so, for instance, if you're somebody who's highly emotional, like me, I'm all driven by emotion. Well, I used to be all driven by emotion. This is something that is changing.、Um, you kind of ignore the facts. But then, then you have the person that's super cool and collected, but they ignore emotion. Wise mind is being able, if you're an emotional person, wise mind is being able to listen to those emotions, not ignore them, don't push them aside, just listen to them, but applying. A little bit of reasonable mind in it. So it's like, I'm feeling this way. Do I have actual evidence to feel this way? What are the facts of the situation telling me about this emotion? Now, if you're on the cool side of things, and I can only say this as an assumption because I am often not on the cool side of things, saying, like, no, this is all, this is the facts, blah, blah, blah. But how does this make me feel? Life is not that black and white. Like, does, where, where are my emotions in this? Am I shutting them down? Am I repressing my emotions? And how do I find the balance of that? So, it's basically seeing the value of both reason and emotion as one entity rather than both ends of the spectrum and separated entities. So, you bring your left and right brain together and find the middle path. Mindfulness has been mind blowing, you guys. I mean, sorry,、um, the wise mind state of mind has been mind blowing to me because it's really forced me to think differently a little bit about how things go. So that's that. And then we get into mindfulness. So, what is mindfulness? I don't know if any of you have meditated before, if you've done yoga, or even if you're like into painting, to fixing up your car. Whatever your hobbies are, you know that place that a lot of people call the flow, where you're just so into a task, your attention's 100% in it, that time just goes by and you just feel like you could do this for a long time and things are flowing well. Well, that's mindfulness. When your mind gets lost in the task at And now, what is why? Why do we get to mindfulness? I don't know about you, but every time I get into a state, I feel just so happy and complete and fulfilled. So, it actually helps reduce suffering and increase happiness, increase the control of your mind, and it helps you experience reality as it is.、So、I'm gonna read you the mindfulness definition. So, what is mindfulness? It is intentionally living with awareness in the present moment. So, waking up from automatic or road behaviors to participate and be present in our lives. And you know, I know that you know what those automatic things are when we're just doing things without really thinking about them. And then we do them wrong and we're like, why did I do this? This is silly. Yeah, it's because we're not being mindful. Now, we also do it without judging or rejecting the moment. So, this is the important stuff. This is the juicy stuff. Stuff. You can name it, you can evaluate it, but you can be judgmental. Now, I'll talk about this more when I get to the other two skills. I'm just, I'm just gonna check the time to see how we're doing time wise because I feel like I've been talking for a long time. Yeah, 44 minutes. Cool. I promise. We'll, we'll try to keep this at like an hour. So bear with me for another 
15 minutes and 14 seconds, I think, something like that. Okay. So we do this without judging or rejecting the moment. So no judgment, not being judged of others, of ourselves, and without attachment to the moment. Now, the book, the textbook says, attending to the experience of each new moment rather than ignoring the present by clinging to the past or going on to the future. This is something I have a hard time with. So why? Why would it why would this be a difficult thing to do? Because a lot of times if you deal with depression or anxiety, you're either extremely stuck in the past or really anxious about the future. And normally it's not like we think of like, oh my past was so great. No, we get stuck on the crappy things about the past. And we don't think like, oh, my future is going to be so bright. No, we're like, oh my God, if I don't do this, I'm going to get like this. If I don't do this, blah, 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 blah. We just freak out about things that haven't even happened. And I get really sad about things that we've done or done. I mean, things that we've done or said. But what's done, it's gone. I mean, we can use that emotion to figure out how to not feel that way again but we cannot get stuck in that emotion it's not helpful you're not getting anywhere by being stuck in that emotion and then in the future like we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow for all we know a meteor is gonna come hit the earth and boom we're all out but all we actually have control over is what's in front of us at this moment at this present moment they're right here right now that's all we have so that is being in like the present state of mind without being attached to the moment. So what are some mindfulness skills? Mindfulness, sorry. Um, yoga, meditation, tai chi. The things that bring you back to the present moment, that bring you to an all expanding awareness of right here right now where the discomfort of the past and the uncertainty of the future don't matter all that matters is what's in front of you at the moment and now i don't know if you guys agree with me but as i said like a lot of our suffering comes from our past or our future But if we're ended right here, right now, and we know that we're practicing and doing the best that we can, gosh, that has to be bound to help us reduce some of this awful anxiety and depression that we feel, right? Like, at least that's my hope. And that's why my instructors tell me that's the goal of this. So I'm listening to them. So some of the exercises that we practice for the week were like sitting down and meditating or thinking of uh, the snowflake on the lake and watching it fall and watching the colors or asking your brain for a wise mind questions on a situation be like, well, this person was mean. It's like, okay, now what's, what's my wise mind telling me about this? I just bringing yourself to a place of full awareness. So mindfulness is cool. If you don't meditate, honestly... I highly recommend it. I actually find it kind of fun now, especially after I'm done with my substance abuse issue because it can help, like, it helps you go somewhere. I feel like when I meditate, I go on like a trip within my mind. It's kind of fun. And sometimes it gives you answers. I don't know if you're spiritual or religious, and I hope I'm not offending anybody by what I'm about to say but I once heard that when you pray is when you ask for something and sometimes you ask for an answer to something and it is in meditation when you're quiet enough that you hear the answer how is that was really beautiful so mindfulness become kind of bay it's kind of cool you guys so That was my week three. Now, we are going to talk about my week four. And how are we doing? I'm going to try to keep this under the hour. So I'm just going to check the time. Okay, we got like 10 minutes to cover the what 
and how skills. So week four was my what skills. So what are the what skills? They're observe, describe, participate. What is observe? Noticing literally everything that is happening right here, right now. Because then, you know, we're talking like, okay, you want us to be mindful, but how the hell do we do that? So step number one, you observe. What do you observe? The sensations in your body. You pay attention on purpose to the present moment. You control to your attention, but not to what you see. You push away nothing, but you cling to nothing. You just see what you see. That's it. No judgment, no side comments, no emotions to it. This is just what's up. Then you have practice worldless watching. Just watching things for the sake of watching and letting your brain just kind of take a chill pill and just relax for a minute. Just observe both the inside and the outside of yourself. So how do you, what's an example of that? Say you're sitting on a chair. So I'm sitting on my big, super comfy pink chair right now. And how would I do this observing part right now? If I wasn't, you know, talking to my cell phone and therefore talking to you guys. You sit on a chair and you close your eyes and you feel how the chair feels on your legs. What's the weight of it? What's the weight of your body on the chair? How does it feel on your thighs and then your legs? And how does it feel on your back? And how does your back feel arched this way? And where are your arms? Are they touching the chair? What does it feel to the touch? That's what they mean by that. It's just being completely consumed by the experience at hand, the experience in the moment. And then you describe the experience without judgment, without using judgment words. So you put into words the experience, like when a feeling or a thought arises or you do something, you acknowledge it. For instance, today somebody talked about my friend who passed away a year and a half ago. And he made me really sad. And I got a little teary-eyed. And I was in the bus. And... My first thought was to name the feeling. I have a feeling of grief and sadness arise within me. It was the first time I was able to actually effectively do it. Where do I feel it? I feel it in my heart. I feel it on my stomach. I feel it in my hands. I don't know if that happens to any of you. But sometimes when I get really sad, I feel it in like the palm of my hands. It's like a weird little thing, I guess. I don't know. See, I'm being, I'm using judgmental speech. My DVT trainers wouldn't be very happy with me right now. But anyhow, you describe it, you label it, but you include your interpretation and opinions. You just name it for what it is. You just put out the facts. And then you remember that if you can observe it through your senses, you can describe it. And then there is participate. And as it goes back to the mindfulness thing, and you just throw yourself into the full moment. And then you become one with whatever you're doing. So if you're doing your bed, pay attention to making your bed. How am I putting the sheet? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Just being completely one-minded on things. And you act intuitively from wise mind. So you do just what's needed in each situation. So if you're dancing, you're a skillful dancer. If you're listening to music, you're one with the music. If you're singing, you're just focusing on singing. And then going with the flow. It's just allowing things to be. Don't put judgment. Don't put weight on things. Just let it go. So, um, this was a cool one. Because the what skills kind of make you stop for a second and take awareness of what's happening and say, okay, you know, literally, like, what is happening? What am I feeling? What am I observing? What is this? As the word says it, that's your what skills. And that's, you know, big part of your mindfulness. But then, last week, we did our house skills. House skills kind of, like, there were a lot of, another, like, trip of a week for me, you guys. So, your house skills are how you take a hold of your mind. 
So the first skill is non-judgmentally. So you look, observe, and name something, but you don't evaluate it as good or bad. Just the facts. So how many times have we been like, let's say you're driving and a car cuts in front of you. So there's the responses. You're like, oh, this person just cut in front of me. You know, not very nice, but that's cool. Whatever. Nothing happened. They just got in front of me. We both keep driving. Cool. Seems, you know, doesn't make... It's not a big deal. But then there could be the other responses like, Oh, this blah, 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 blah just got in front of me. And I hope they like blah, 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 blah. Which one's the more like emotionally charged response? Which one's the one that's probably going to make your heart rate rise and create a rise of you and once you get to your destination you're gonna be all worked up and this is not the other person doing it to you this is us doing it to ourselves really so that's basically what the first non-judgmentally skill is is you observe you see but you don't name anything good or bad it just is and then you accept every moment as it is Another one is acknowledging the difference between the helpful and the harmful, the safe and the dangerous, but don't judge them. So then I actually brought up the question in class and one of them was like, well, how do we know then? So then that means that you need to evaluate your values and what you deem safe or not safe, blah, 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 blah. And you get into that, but at least you can start making an observation of what you're judging or not. This was a tricky one. The next one's acknowledge your values, your wishes, your emotional reactions, but don't judge them. So that's when I ask, I'm like, well, if you don't even know what your values are, if you're conflicted by them, how can you not judge them? So that's when some self-acceptance and radical acceptance need to come in and you need to become a fantastic observer and a curious observer of yourself without being judgmental right so then you do it one mindfully so rivet yourself to now so you are completely involved by the present moment doing it one thing at a time you let go of distractions and you concentrate your mind and the last one just because I want to get this I don't want to keep you for more than an hour here. So the last house skill is effectively. So be mindful of your goals in the situation and what you and what it's necessary to achieve them. Focus on what works, play by the rules, act as skillfully as you can, and let go of willingness and sitting on your hands. So basically, how how do you take control of your mind? I think that's what they're trying to teach us here. Now this is my interpretation. I'm yet to do the homework for this week, so maybe next time that I come on, I'll be like, hey, you guys, I was completely wrong about this. But then we've described the what, right? Like, So we have the first week we talked about what the skills that we're learning and why biologically we act the way we act. And then we do the chain analysis and you're like, great, I feel like a mess. I'm speaking for myself. That's how I felt on my chain analysis. And then you're like, okay, but mindfulness is here to save the day. So we're just gonna chill and we're gonna come back to the present moment and then we're gonna come back to this and like find some what skills and think what is what's making me uncomfortable what am i feeling the how skills is how to bring yourself back to a place of calmness so how do i become not judgmental how can i look at a situation without evaluating it as good or bad it just being how can I bring myself to the present moment? How can I be consumed by the thing that's in front of me? How can I be mindful? How can I be more effective? So that is basically what I've learned so far. It's kind of cool. I've caught myself practicing some of these things on my own. And like, of course, every week there's homework and I do some of the homework and then I talk about it with my psychologist but it's been really interesting. I feel like everybody should do this at some point. And now that, you know, I've fully come out of my mental health closet and 
all the people that follow my personal Instagram know that I have borderline personality disorder. I don't have to hide it anymore. I feel like it also gives me a bit of 